Hey everyone, it's Erica Henry, Network Pastor of the Holy District. Want to jump on before this episode starts to give you a heads up on where we're going. As you may be aware, we are getting close to Advent season, which starts at the end of this November 2022. The Holy District team wants to put together something really special for you for that time. And so we're going to take a little bit of a break so we can really work on that and prepare something really meaningful for your spiritual growth. And so in the meantime, we thought we would bring back some of our greatest hits from the Holy District podcast, some episodes that were the most viewed or the most downloaded, see if we might uh, jog your memory a little bit with some content that might be really helpful for you. So if you've heard it once, we'd encourage you to listen again. If you've not heard it before, I think you'll enjoy because it seemed like the rest of our listeners did. For this first week, we're going to re-listen to our very, very, very first episode ever. It's called Being Human. And it's about human beings as image-bearing dirt creatures. This is really fun. Uh, It reminds me of some really fun times that we had when we were beginning our first virtual Holy District gatherings at the very beginning of the pandemic. So I hope you guys enjoy this or enjoy it again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, let's jump in. Hey everyone, this is Erica Henry and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. Today we're launching our first podcast series, which we're calling Being Human. As you may know, this podcast is inspired by the real life conversations we're having with you at our Holy District gatherings, and I'm excited to continue the conversation. So I've got my husband and partner in crime with me here today, Blake Henry, and he's going to help me do just that. That's right. Uh, This is such a huge topic that can go so many different directions. So I think it's fair to say that today we're going to start exploring, and that's a key thing. We are starting the exploration of this idea of being human from a Jesus-centered perspective. How about we start with the first question we discussed at our most recent gathering. In your opinion, what, if anything, makes human beings different than other living beings? So whenever we had the gathering and we we talked about this question, some things that popped up along these lines of um, what makes human beings different than other living beings was like the idea of humans have purpose. They they accomplish things. They are innovative, creative, those kind of things. So Erica, as we turn to you and kind of this idea of what is a Jesus-centered perspective, what what are you thinking? Well, I think I have to kind of preface this conversation by uh, preparing you for maybe a little bit of a disappointment because this podcast, I don't think we're actually going to spend that much time talking about Jesus, the the person. And I, that's because we need to start, if we're going to understand Jesus's perspective, which I believe Jesus has a lot to say about what it means to be human. And he shows us a lot about what it means to be human. But Jesus had a particular worldview and his worldview was shaped by the tradition that he grew up in. And part of his tradition were the Hebrew scriptures. And so in order to actually understand what Jesus does and says whenever he's on this earth, I think it's good for us to kind of go back to those original stories that Jesus would have grown up hearing and that he then will reference in his teaching in order to do that well. Does that make sense? Right. So just like we have our own culture and society we've grown up in that kind of shapes our beliefs. Jesus, you're saying Jesus had the same kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the primary places that would have shaped Jesus' understanding of what a human is would be 
Genesis. And Genesis is the very first book of the Hebrew scriptures. Um, we, those of us who are Christians call the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And this is where the story of Jesus's people started. And so many scholars believe that Genesis was actually written down somewhere between 1450 or 1400 BCE. So that's 1400 years before Jesus even was born that this was written down. Right. So that's a long time ago. Long, long time ago. Yeah, like 3,400 years <laughs> right. before now, uh, currently. And and then if you add this to it, people would have been sharing these stories, passing them down from generation to generation orally long before they were actually written down. So these stories are millennia old and they give a very particular perspective on what it means to be human and this is, I think, the perspective that's shaping all of what Jesus says and does. So whenever you say that, let's I, I'm interested now because obviously, um, you know, Genesis is what you hear of a lot of times when you hear about the, the creation story and all that kind of thing. So just kind of what's your what's your take then on how are human beings different? Well, you know, I think we don't know if, if they really are, right? And so when we start in Genesis, that word Genesis just means beginning. And we're actually going to begin at the beginning of the book of Genesis. Genesis is a very long book. We're just going to look at the first couple pages and just a few other places in the Old Testament. But I would say the main idea that I take away when I read Genesis chapters 1 and 2, um, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but if I could sum up the perspective of what a human is from the Genesis story, I would say that humans are image-bearing dirt creatures. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's a little funny considering... Um... That was definitely not in any of the answers or we didn't talk about that oh, in any no of the gatherings. So, I mean, that kind of paints a pretty picture of what humans are. So <laughs> an image bearing dirt creature, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it might be easier if we kind of start at the end and work our way backwards. So to start with the idea of creature, I mean, that word maybe in modern day context might make you think of like a monster. Yeah, or, it makes me think of Godzilla. Yeah, like the creature feature, B-movies, you know, those kinds of things and... Um, that's not exactly what I mean. Where, where I get this word is actually from Genesis 2, verse 7. And this is an account where God creates the first human. And it says this, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And that word being actually can be translated in a few different ways. And in some translations, like the ESV, we're reading from the NRSV right now, they actually translate that word as creature. Mm. So this, this idea of a being, this idea, it means a created thing, a created being, a cre you know, that's kind of where it's coming from. And what that does is it actually delineates between a creator and the created. So human beings at their basic are creatures. They are living things, living beings that were created by a creator. And we're not the only creatures that the Genesis account actually records God creating. In the first chapter, God creates sky creatures that fly. He creates sea creatures that swim. And he creates human creatures as well as, as others. And what's so interesting when we think about this question of what makes humans different, if anything, from other living beings, the very first perspective that we get from Genesis is not how humans are different, but how we're the same or at least what we have in common. And so 
when you look at like Genesis 1, 20 through 22, and then compare that to Genesis 1, 28, what you see is God creating these creatures, blessing the creatures, and then commanding those creatures to multiply and fill their respective domains. So the sky creatures multiply and fill the sky. Um, for the sea creatures, multiply and fill the sea. And for humans, multiply and fill the earth. So that's interesting. So here in this Genesis account, it's not just about how um, other living beings or creatures are different than humans, but actually the same. So that was actually some things that came up in our gathering too, of how there might not be that much of a difference between other living beings and um, humans. Right. And actually something that we see in the account is, and other places in scripture, is that kind of all living beings receive life from creator God. And so life can be understood and seen as the spirit. You see, like we talked about when God formed man, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Um, and so that word breath can also be translated as wind and it can also be translated as spirit. And so both human beings and other creatures they are filled with this breath of life and that is what animates them. That's what takes them from existing to being this living, living thing. And this isn't the only place that we get this idea of like the breath of life from God. Um, later on in the scriptures, there's this book called Ecclesiastes and um, it's actually kind of depressing, um, but it's written by this really wise person. They're called the Kohelet. And the Kohelet is kind of at the end of their life and they're looking back and they're asking themselves, where did, what was meaningful? And they're actually coming to a point where they think not very much. Mm -hmm. And so the perspective here can be a bit of a downer, but I think it shows kind of how the Hebrew people thought about animals and people and living beings and people and how God's um, how God made us very similar. So in Ecclesiastes 3, 18 and 19, it says, I said in my heart with regard to human beings that God is testing them to show that they are but animals for the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. There's that idea. And humans have no advantage over the animals for all is vanity. Well, that seems like a pretty uh, doom and gloom <laughs> passage that you picked there um, to get us started. So you got us started out with um, humans are nothing or humans are image bearing dirt creatures. And now you read that passage. So that's that can be a little depressing, but it sounds like the idea here is that we all have the same fate. Like it's the idea of, um, you know, there is much more in common than what a lot of times, especially in our culture, if we go back to that idea we think of individualistic a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and where we're, this is saying we actually have more in common with other creatures, not just humans. Absolutely. And I think this, the next word um, is going to help us flesh this out a little bit more because like, like I said before, it's not just that we're creatures. One thing that is unique about uh, human beings and the way that we are created according to this uh, origin story was that human beings were created from the dust, from the dirt. So in that passage, Genesis 2, 7, where we started, where it says, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, the, uh, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living being. If you could read this in the original language, you would see that there's some interesting wordplay going on here. So the word for ground in Hebrew is Adama, 
And the word for man or human is Adam. So we end up calling the first man, according to the story, Adam, as if it's his name. But really, that word means human um, in it. And it almost it, it kind of means like dust man, dirt man <laughs> or something like that. So um, Tim Mackey is someone that I really like to listen to and learn a lot from. And he a correlation that he makes to kind of put this in a modern context, it would be almost like if this were written in English, you could say, then God created human, a human from the humus, which humus is a word that means soil. Mm. And you see that both human and humus have that root um, in common. And so this is, you know, some really beautiful wordplay that's going on in the poetry here. And I, and I think at, at its very core or the very basic thing that we should be thinking about when we think about this image of humans being made from dust, we should certainly be thinking about our mortality. Hmm. Um, there, this, there's this very common theme that goes throughout scripture that says that human beings were, were taken from the dust and they will return to the dust. And so in Genesis 3, 19 and 20 through 22, um, some bad things have gone down and, and God is actually describing to the you know humans, this is what life's going to be like because of the decisions that have been made. And he says to them, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so at the very least, um, being made from the dust or being made from the dirt reminds us that we are mortal, you know, mm. that that we will die and that we'll return to, to the place that we came from. But I also think that it would be um, a good thing to remind us of our connection to and our dependence upon the earth that in many ways, the fate of humans, um, our fate is tied to the fate of, of the earth, to the ground. If the ground and the earth is taken care of, then humans will be taken care of and that there's this interdependence that's going on there. Yeah, especially, I mean, that makes sense, especially when you think about how much food we eat from the ground, right? Mm. All the stuff that is planted and then comes up and we benefit from. Yeah. And the people who would have been telling the story, passing it down, and then eventually writing down the story, those people were farming people. Mm. So they are, they are very much aware of how dependent we are upon the earth and upon the ground. Whereas you and I, and probably many people are listening to this, we have, we're much more removed from the ways in which the earth supplies our needs. And that was, that was not the case for the people who were, who were writing and sharing this story. And so as we think about this idea of coming from the dust, returning to the dust, this, this doesn't just happen in Genesis. It actually shows up in other parts of the Hebrew scripture as well. We go back to our depressing friend Kohala in Ecclesiastes 3, um, in verses 20 and 21, this is what the Kohalet says, all go to one place, all are from the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. So the Kohalet is someone who's saying, even when it, when it comes to that idea of our morality and our dependence upon the earth, this is something that humans and animals have in common. Now, it's, it is unique in the story. Humans are formed from the dust very literally in the way that the story goes, whereas the animals, uh, God speaks and then they exist. And then we get this narrative detail about God actually shaping human beings from, mm. from the mud, basically. And that is, that is a difference. But the, the way that the Kohalet sees it, at the end, we're all, we're all going back to the dirt anyway. So, I mean, 
once again, our depressing friend has led us to a fun point. So I guess what I'm hearing so far is like, we're all in the same boat, all these living creatures and everything. So what, as this first question we've talked about, what's the difference or is there any difference? What would be a Jesus-centered perspective coming from his tradition starting at Genesis or is there a difference? Yeah, I, th- I think where we actually begin to see the main difference would be in Genesis chapter one. And this is where that idea of an image bearer comes into play. So like I said, I think the Genesis, uh, the creation account kind of shows us that humans are image bearing dirt creatures. That image, talking, you know, using the phrase image bearer, that's kind of weird. That's not a phrase that I think I would ever have heard or used had I not gone to seminary or, or kind of grown up in church. But really, it means exactly kind of what it sounds like it means. It means to have the likeness of, of someone else. It means to present an image that, it, you know, represents someone mm. or something else. So this might be like whenever people meet your mom or see a picture of your mom, they say, oh, my gosh, there's no doubt you look just like your mom. Yep, you I'm know? her kid. I'm I'm the spitting image mm. of my mom. And so, yes, very much that idea of of representing the image of another is what an image bearer is. And there are lots of ideas of what this could mean to say that human beings are created in the image of God or are that we bear the image of God. But one thing is clear from the text. And so I want to go ahead and read, read that text aloud so that we can kind of see that together. And this is Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. God has already created and ordered the land and the sea and the, the powers and the lights in the sky. And he's um, populated the earth with different kinds of animals. And now he's coming to the point where he's got, God is going to decide to make humankind. Mm-hmm. So in 26, it's, it says this, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals on the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And and God goes on to basically tell them, See, everything is here for you. The plants that bear fruit, there's all, all of this is for you to oversee and to have rule and dominion over. Mm, that's, that's interesting because in, even in that passage of scripture that you just read, like you still hear the, the connectedness between creatures, uh, other created creatures and human creatures with that, um, be fruitful and multiply. Sure. It just looks different, but now you've kind of put a purpose yeah. Um, to uh, humans besides that, besides just being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. And, and one could almost say a responsibility, right? Mm, so that's a good word. Um, if, if we're looking for ways that human beings might be distinct from other living beings, in this story, what we see is that God, when God created human beings, he created them in his image in a way that he did not create any other part of the created world. And to be created in the image of God means at least, it could be mean more than this, but it means at least that humans are supposed to have this uh, dominion and rule, that God wants to rule the world that he's created through human beings. And that um, in relationship with God, human beings are going to be able to continue to create and multiply and bless and do the very things that God began doing 
um, as they expand this loving rule throughout the whole entire world. <laughs> so that sounds like um, humankind, uh, male and female, have a huge responsibility. <laughs> you know, so that's nothing small. Um, so that kind of goes into our next question. I want to ask you, we talked about this question um, number two at our gathering, and it's what does Genesis have to say about what do you appreciate most about humankind and what most disappoints you? So I want to say that again. Um, this second question we talked about at our gathering, what do you appreciate most about humankind and what most disappoints you? Yeah, so I don't know that I would say that Genesis is commenting necessarily on this question in particular in the same way that we were able to at our gathering. But I would offer that this might be a way that we could think about the story of the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament. We could, we could look at it as the unfolding story of humankind's attempt to live out that image of God um, in the world and how we've gotten it right and how we've gotten it wrong. Hmm. And so as we reflected on that question together, there were things that we could look and we could see and say, wow, this is really amazing about humans. And I love it when I see humanity behaving this way. But there's also a lot of things that we notice that it seems like it's not quite right. So when we see creativity, sacrifice, when we experience intimacy and connection, when we look at just the incredible innovation and progress and healing, you know, I think a Jesus-centered perspective would say that is the image of God. Mm. That's the image of God expressing itself in humankind. And that the image of God is something that every single human innately possesses. It's not something that only, you know, Christians have, or if you believe these certain things, or if you were born in a certain place, it's something that if you are human, you were created to represent God in the world with the capacity and compatibility to do that. And so when anyone is behaving in these kinds of ways, that is a way that we can see the image of God in them. That's that's really interesting because we're in this crazy time right now with COVID-19. And even in the gatherings, we talked about, you know, seeing some of these really beautiful expressions of humans, you know, doing some of those things you said already, being creative, being self-sacrificial, um, wanting to have those connections with other people and showing their um, their gratitude for those people that are working on the front lines, those essential sure. workers. But at the same time, we also see the opposite where people are hoarding and buying things that makes it more difficult for maybe a group of people that aren't as privileged. Yeah. And, and that bothers us. Right. All right. And so I think I think the fact that we feel disappointed at all, mm. um, I think the fact that we're bothered by that, that we're disappointed when human beings don't behave in an altruistic way. We're disappointed when humans aren't responsible or are greedy with our resources. We're disappointed when human beings don't make wise decisions. I think this all points to the hunch that our ancient storytellers had whenever they were telling the story of, Gen of the Genesis creation and whenever it was eventually written down and compiled so that we could benefit from, from it today. I think everyone kind of has this hunch that, that there is an ideal way to be a human. Mm. And um, we feel it whenever we're not living up to that ideal and when others aren't living up to that ideal. And I think the reality that we have experienced is we don't live up to that ideal most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I know I don't. Um, <laughs> but I guess it also, you know, I guess it also 
Well, it depends on what you think ideal means. Exactly. Right? So that's why that leads us into our last question from the gatherings. And it's it was imagine the ideal human. How would you need to change if at all? Because who knows? Maybe there is an ideal human. Um, how would you need to change if at all in order to live up to that ideal? Yeah. And so so this question was really about engaging the imagination and doing some really creative kind of constructive thinking about what it means to be human. And I was intrigued to see that many people who engaged in our gathering saw this question from a from a perspective of an individual mm-hmm. and had the sense of there is no rule, there's no such thing as an ideal human. We're all doing our best, but none of us are perfect. And really the best that we can do is just try to be better every day. And maybe an ideal me is different than an ideal you and 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 that's okay. Mm-hmm. And I would just be, I would be intrigued or curious to hear a, um, someone's answer this, to this question. Maybe that was from a more Eastern um, background or had a more communal understanding of, of what it means to be human rather than maybe like a Western individual, um, individualistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think just like we talked about with Jesus, just like we've been saying this whole time, our worldview is shaped by our culture around us. And really, that creates a lot of assumptions about what ideal is. Um, So when I so when we're talking about this from like a Jesus center perspective, we're trying to get into the worldview that maybe Jesus would have had looking at Genesis just in these first two chapters. I mean, like I said, Genesis is a big book, but just looking at those first two chapters, um, I think that the storytellers in Genesis were do they were doing some inspired imagining about what humans were like or should have been like or could have been like before things went sideways. Because mm. I think we all kind of had this feeling of things, things have not gone up. right. Yeah. Yes. The world is not as it could be or should be. And so I think from their perspective, there's three things that I just want to point out that I can see pretty clearly in these first two, uh, first couple pages of Genesis. And I'm sure sure there are a lot more. But to begin with, I think the, the first thing is the ideal human is like God. That's the image bearer concept and the way that they exercise their rule and dominion over the rest of creation. So just within the first few pages of Genesis, we see God as a relational being. Um, God is wildly creative, um, generous, life-giving. God is just delighted to bless, to give away um opportunity and power to multiply, to order, you know, to take chaos and bring it into order. And I think these are all ways that the, I, that God was inviting and actually empowering humans to behave and, and to be like God. So the ideal human would rule this way. Hmm. The ideal human would exercise power in such a way that it's relational and loving and generous and creative and, um, you know, freely, freely given and those kinds of things. And you'll notice that in these first few pages that the in this ideal state, God doesn't give humankind the command to rule over one another. Mm, yeah, that's, that's really interesting because even talking about what ruling looks like and, you know, talking about that relational loving kind of way, we don't see that <laughs> so much in the world today. So that's interesting. Right, because I think the ideal, the idea here is that God is the one who who rules humankind. And then God wants to rule the rest of creation through humans. And so humans are not, one group of human is not meant to be over another group of human, however you want to slice that pie. Mm. 
really humans. That creates domination. Right. Rather, every kind of human together is created in the image of God to rule together in partnership and in community. And that actually leads to the the second um, point here that I see in Genesis in these first two chapters. The ideal human relies on God, not themselves, to determine good from bad. So we'll, we'll probably get into this a little bit more in, in later podcasts as we get deeper in this conversation. But in Genesis 2, 15 and 17, God gives Adam a command. There are two trees in the center of the garden. One is the tree of life. One is the tree of knowing good and evil or good and bad. And he commands Adam not to eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. And like I said, we'll talk about this more in depth next episode. But I think what this represents is that human beings from the from the beginning have the choice to decide, will I trust myself to determine what seems good and what seems bad and make decisions based on what seems right in my own eyes? Or am I going to trust God? Is there an outside source? Is there something other than me that has a better perspective than I do where I can gain wisdom so that I can express the image of God in a way that's that's right and that's true? And um, so the ideal human, the way that God set this up, the way that these um, the writers in Genesis are sharing with us, the ideal human never takes from the tree of knowing good and bad. They trust that God is going to teach them and, and make them wise so that they can do what they're mm, made They have to, to learn do. from him, his and, ways. And of course, we, ha- we, have to, we do have to learn. And this is what the first five books of the Bible, it's called the uh, Torah, which means instruction. And so... I don't think the ideal human knows everything. I don't think the ideal human has it all together, but the ideal human is depends on God to make decisions rather than you know, figuring it out on their own. And then the final thing I would say, um, we see this in Genesis 2 verse 25. God has created Adam out of the mud. He has created Eve from Adam. And now we have this kind of husband and wife scenario. And the commentary here after Adam and Eve are created and come together as um, husband and wife, it says in chapter two, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hmm. And so from this, I would just say, I think the ideal human exists in relationship without pretense and without shame. And um, just as Adam and Eve were naked, they were vulnerable, they were exposed and we're, they did not feel any shame in that. I think whenever humans are in their ideal state, they are able to exist completely as they are without needing to filter, without needing to put a put facade. Up, right. Be afraid, all those kinds of things that typically, I mean, we do. We as humans, feel, right? right? To have that insecurity and to feel like I, can, I have to cover up at least parts of me mm-hmm. um, or else I won't People be loved. People can't know my true self. Yeah, or I won't be accepted. I won't be loved. And that's that's what shame says, right? Mm-hmm. Shame says there's something about you that's bad. There's something about you that's wrong. And you have to cover it up and you have to hide. And when we look at these first couple pages of Genesis, these these stories that would have shaped the way that Jesus thought about hum, you know humankind rightly related to God, to creator God, we see that the ideal human had no sense of insecurity about the way that they were. They they existed. They were just, they were beings and they were exposed and that was okay. 
Yeah, that really brings up a beautiful picture of what it means to be human or what it could be mm-hmm. to be a human. I mean, in terms of talking about without shame and being unashamed of the idea of we live that way with our family, our friends, our neighborhood, sharing our desires, sharing our fears, being vulnerable enough to put mm-hmm. that on the table. That could be really transformative for everything, you know, your whole neighborhood, your family. And I think that's just such a beautiful picture. And I think, you know, this is kind of where we're going to be wrapping up. But that's what I would want to invite you guys into if you are listening to this podcast is we are going to continue this conversation um, and our next gathering and everything. So we would love for you to join us in that. But also, um, Erica has talked about basically the first two chapters of Genesis and that I am sure there are tons of other things that could be brought up throughout this story that you guys might have noticed. So I would say if you are listening to this podcast and you do have something that you would like to share, please reach out to us, um, email us, social media, because we want to continue. Once again, this is starting the conversation, right? So This is what we invite you into, and that kind of concludes our time today. And this has been a very introductory conversation on being human. Our next gathering will pick up where this one left off. We'll talk about human nature, our relationship to good and evil, if they even exist, and our yearning for utopia. And who knows what else, because you guys have the ability to shape where this conversation takes us next. Yeah, and we would love for you to be a part of that, as Blake said. So you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rediscover Sacred to engage in our online community. You can check out our website at holydistrict.org. There you can register to attend our next gathering. You can schedule a one-on-one spiritual direction session with me if you'd like to have a more private, personal conversation about the topics that have come up and, and what that might have inspired in your thoughts. And you can learn more about finding your place in the Holy District because I can promise you no matter where you are in your journey, there is a place for you here in our community. So we want to say thank you to um, all the people that made this podcast possible. And that is you for listening to this podcast, being a part of this conversation, coming to the gatherings, and also our awesome producer, Chelsea Scott. The Holy District is a growing network of people who are finding creative ways to live integrated, Jesus-centered lives in the community, with the community, and for the community. We exist in order to inspire people across the spectrum of belief and non-belief to rediscover the sacredness of the spaces they inhabit. 